Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. We're recording inside of a car. We're at a conference where there's a lot of noise. They pipe the sound everywhere. And so we're in a car with the air conditioner running. You're going to have to just forgive it as we get going. But I'm here with my friend, my new friend, Jervy Windham. And uh, he is how many days into a church plant? 47. 47 days. And I met you on the 46th day. Yes, sir. And you have a pretty amazing story to tell. I, I want you to, to to enlarge on something I heard, and that is before you ever planted this church, you said that you had participated in or led several church plants because you were in the military for a whole career, right? Uh, yes, sir. I was in the Army for 24 years, and um, we've planted churches in Seoul, Korea, um, uh, Pennsylvania, and as well as South Carolina. So you're seasoned at this. I guess. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it sometimes. But. And there, there's something else that you bring to the table. You, you bring a lot of experience to the table. And, and that's when we talked last night, that really came out. But the other thing that you bring, and, and, and it's one of the reasons, there's several reasons I have, but one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is that you retired from the military. Yes, sir. And I have a friend in Okinawa who has put, I believe, seven uh, retired military guys into church planting service in different parts of the world. Talk just just a little bit about the the benefit of having had the career in the military and how that makes it easier as a church planter, particularly easier in that I know that you you're not forced to how do they say it launch large. You don't need a lot of money, so you don't have to make budget in a hurry, all that. Kind of talk us through that. Take your time. Well, I know um, having spent 24 years in the military, I've moved um, almost 14 times. Uh, Actually, my final move back here would have been the 14th 14th time. So uh, the whole idea of parachuting uh, is not something that's scary for us, you know, as church planters. So a lot of... um, military that are church planters, when they think of possibly going someplace where you don't have family and you don't have connections, well, that's almost every duty station sometimes. So, you know, we're not, uh, we're we're not really afraid of that. That's normal for us uh, to go into a community and make connections and that sort of thing. The financial piece, as you were saying, um, a lot of times we're able to kind of plan our lives a certain way when we feel that the call to, to plant and kind of situate ourselves so that it is much easier financially. And, and then not having the, you know, medical and the full package, you know, kind of goes along with um, being retired military. So a lot of the things that, you know, other church planters uh, really have to plan around and think about kind of goes along with the military package if you are retired or, or even a disabled veteran. So is there any downside to this? Is there anything that you'd tell a guy who might be listening to this who's just came out of the military? Is there anything that is negative? I, I can't see anything. Is there anything you see? Yes, I've experienced some some things that 
something that I did not think about until uh, until we uh, we launched uh, Resonate or begin to work in a community is that every place that I planted or been involved in a church plant was near a military installation. So therefore, certain things I did not consider an issue, like I never really thought about. So one Sunday, we were doing some pre-launch services. A gentleman came in to the church, and the message was not, you know, we're, we're talking um, about uh, multi-ethnicity, and I don't, I don't remember exactly what the sermon uh, sermon was, but um, it touched him a certain way. And after the message, he literally came to myself and uh, the other, you know, there's another pastor that's working with me. And he started just using the N word like he was just saying. And he said, look, I'm prejudiced and God knows I'm prejudiced. And, you know, he was really letting us know that the message touched him deeply and he's not going to change. Because it's, you know, he's, God knows that he's prejudiced and, you know, and, and so you're an African-American. I'm an African-American. I've never literally had someone in my face for so long and use that word so much. It was really a challenge for me. So I'm looking at the other pastor there and then my wife and, and his wife walked up and I mean, literally we're in the, in the back of the, of the sanctuary having this discussion. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, like I've never because in the military, we we train on this sort of sure. stuff, sure. you know, sometimes even on a monthly basis. You know, we have uh, ethnic observances, observances uh, every month on most military installations around the world. So these are things we don't really think about. We know they exist, but we don't necessarily encounter them, especially uh, this th- this way. You know, yeah, I pastored for years next door to a, a Marine Corps air station, and uh, I I've kind of came to the conclusion that the military is the only part of the whole United States that, that even halfway has figured out this whole racial deal and how stupid mm-hmm. it is and and how to get over it. Right. So so you face that in a civilian population you never really thought of, never considered it. And so um, it was probably one of the best things to happen to me. And it happened during our pre-launch stage. And there's a, a, another seasoned church planner down in, uh, in Galveston, Aaron Sanders um, of uh, Coastal Church. He, we met for lunch one day. And I had this discussion with him, and he shared some things with me, opened my eyes, and we began to change the language that we're using in Resonate so that we could intentionally you know, have that multi-ethnic conversation and have that really be about a strong part of our DNA. So we find ourselves now a very diverse church because of it. I mean, we have that conversation all the time. And so this kind of opened our eyes. And so in our community gatherings and in our missional communities, um, we talk about this. So. That's really good. Really, really, really good. What about the guy? Is is he still with you? Did he continue with you for any length of time? Um, he did not. Um, we do see him around, and so we, we, we talk with him, and we still engage him, and, you know, that's— but he really helped to resonate, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he helped the church more than, <laughs> more than he realized because it just gave me a, a, another prayer topic and a, a, another way, another conversation I believe the Lord wants us to have in our community. And it also points out that God loves weird people, too. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> so as, as we were talking yesterday, you told about some pretty phenomenal things. I mean, the old ladies in the electric wheelchairs and doors that have opened to you long before you ever held a public service. And again, I, I want to always go back to the financial 
portion of this that you weren't pressed into I got to go big very quick and all that you were actually able to penetrate the community in ways that a lot of guys just couldn't do but uh, but need to learn to do and so I want to I want you to tell us three or four just tell us some stories it's really been a phenomenal experience for us because we we had no idea what the community was really like uh, while we were doing strategic planning for this church you know I was at my final duty station in Virginia so although my wife and I had a house in the community because we knew that we were going to retire here we really did not um, at that time we you know we had not truly lived in the community and so I came down with all of this great stuff you know I've read all these books and had this this nice uh, strategic plan and you know, I can't tell you how many times we've ripped that up, you know, just uh, because we started spending time in community, spending time with people. And I think, I believe it was uh, Ed Stetzer said that people are not looking for another friendly church. They're looking for friends. And so we we decided that that was going to be something that was going to be really a, a core part of, of our DNA and what we represent to our community. And so we just, uh, we look for opportunities to be friends. And so out of that came so many opportunities like I was sharing last night uh, in one of the communities there happened to be um, three young children that lost their lives at the hands of uh, their mother's uh, boyfriend that became a community that we we were serving prior to that happening you know we saw and interacted with these children so the guy actually murdered those children yes sir yes he did and so then how did you how did you interact with those people well because prior to that happening um, we were spending time there just being friends and spending time in the community having ice cream pop-up ice cream parties for the kids and you know giving snacks to the kids and spending time with the adults there we just would you know have hot dogs on the grill for no reason the community contacted us and said that they wanted us to do a prayer vigil for the family there and so we did do that and that just opened up a whole another situation for us because the owner of the property remodeled one of the townhomes and contacted us and said, would you be willing to come in and just use this for whatever, however you want to use it to reach our young people? He had also had some experiences with domestic violence in his life and was so generous to just do this and remodel one of its townhomes just to be as a a clubhouse and a place that we could minister um, to the community. So that's how one of our missional communities came about. Tell us a couple more stories because you have several missional communities. Yes, sir. We have uh, we have about about nine missional communities. um, In a 47 day old church, right? Yes, sir. Oh, it's amazing. We basically have about nine missional communities throughout um, Texas City, and Lamarck area. We have another community there at what used to be Ocean View Rehabilitative Center. Now it's a, it has another name now. It's Phoenix. This was a place that we were going and just kind of, you know, spending time with people. And the executive director there decided to just give us some space because I told him, I said, you know, I really would like to create um, as we talk with a lot of the staff here. And, then, you know, they seem very stressed out. And we really would like to cre- create a, a space where they could retreat and just receive some inspiration during the day, a place where they could, um, you know, maybe pray or just sit and drink a cup of coffee and just take a moment. And so um, out of that discussion with him, 
he gave us a room that now became kind of a what we call an inspiration chapel where we basically uh, serve coffee to them and you know just uh, spend time with them so whatever their needs are whatever they want to talk about you know we just and so out of that sort of work uh, several of the residents there that have motorized wheelchairs literally come to our church I mean they, they drive their wheelchairs down the block to come spend time with us on Sunday Sunday evenings for our service. So. so if somebody is listening and they're thinking, how did all this happen in 47 days? It didn't. It didn't. You, you were plowing ground for a long while before. Yes, sir. About, I would say um, about uh, nine, nine, ten months before, almost a year. Wow. We were really kind of dug into some of these processes. So tell us two or three others. This is really rich. And I think that, you know, the people that are listening to this are mostly young guys getting started and trying to figure out which end is up. And your stories are very inspirational. It has been to the people that I've already been retelling with some of what you told me. So, yeah, just give us a little bit more of that. It's, it's just been incredible. We've we've had some, some great opportunities. Um, we're at one of the local detention center there doing work. Um, there is a program, a school, an alternative school that um, I used to go volunteer um, or at times I'd also uh, substitute teach for a couple of the teachers there that happened to be Christians. Some of them would, you know, I met them, befriended them and they were like, hey, whenever I'm out, will you come, you know, uh, watch my class or whatever. And so I do that for certain teachers in our communities. And so I begin to meet some kids that were in trouble. And the recidivism rate, I believe, at, at the detention center is about 90%. So that became something that the Lord was uh, speaking uh, to my heart about because, you know, a lot of these kids, they don't have anyone. Um, and so I spent some time with, uh, with one of the kids. And uh, I remember a specific discussion, if I could share it. This kid... Literally, I, I just asked him, uh, where do you live? And he looked at me weird, kind of strange. And he said, what do you mean? Like, where do I stay? I said, no, like, where do you live? He could not even answer that question. And so this kid is in trouble. So I'm thinking to myself that if you're, if you're this kid, let's just say your teacher's asking you why didn't you have your homework. And you're saying, well, it's because I was in a room sleeping on the floor with five other kids, you know. This is what my life is day in and day out. That's how, and so that just kind of touched my heart. And so what we did then is um, we started, you know, in t being intentional about spending time with the kids in our community in the detention center and then also following, following them when they come out. And even those that we know that are that are coming back in, and we're it's unfortunate, but some of them we we just see them, you know, in their situations. And so, basically, uh, we have uh, gatherings um, with these kids where you know we meet them in their communities. Matter of fact, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was, you know, spending some time, and some of these kids are, you know, are gang members and, and various other things. And we've kind of created a situation with them where they trust us, and uh, you know, we spend time with them. You know, just where they are. So these kids don't come to our church, but they've invited us, invited us into their space. So, you know, I can go into certain communities there and, and literally, um, you know, just because we re respect where they are and we care about them and they know that we do, that we're able to just walk up and, and sit down and, and, and spend time with them. So we're doing that on a more regular basis now. 
even when they're in trouble. I mean, um, as a matter of fact, on Saturday, I'll be spending some time with, uh, with some of these kids that are actually in the detention center, you know, waiting for them to, to come out so that we can continue, you know, our friendship and spend time with them. So that's, that's just stuff that we do every day. We always say that whether people come to resonate or not resonate will come to you. And we really mean that. We really mean that. You know, that's a large issue. I've been talking to a bunch of pastors recently. I, I did some some training, and anything that we suggested that had to do with empowering people to do different things in the community, they saw as a waste or they saw as a threat. And it feels to me like the church today, we, we have our eyes on the barn. We want to protect the barn. And we forget that the barn is all about the harvest. And so there are those who all they can think about is the barn and keeping the barn going, maintenance. Others who think about the barn and protecting the crop that we have in the barn. And But it still seems like the, the fields are white under harvest and we're not out there. But you're out there and, and that's what's building the church. So is there anything that you would say has been... Ex- other than the thing that you already identified, that's been a downside to, to, to this particular church planting experience? I think um, the downside, if I, if I, could, I could, could say that, would be a lot of the challenges that we've, we've met with other churches. When, we've entered, when we enter into, uh, in, entered into our community, one thing that we say that's a real strong part of our DNA as well is that we'll wear your T-shirt. So we just want to do kingdom work. So I don't care if something's happening at your church and you need us, we're there. And so even uh, in the community, I mean, we're really fortunate. And I'm saying this, there's some things it's hard for me to talk about because it's like, you know, I just wanted, I want people to know that God did this, Yeah. you know? So we have friends at like at the newspaper, very, very close, dear friend of ours, you know, that works with us. Most of our advertising in the newspaper is because of partnerships and work that we've done. We didn't pay for any advertising. It's just, it's just being friends with people, you know, that, that want, that, that love this community and, and loving the community alongside them, you know, and walking with them. And, um, I mean, we ended up with several places around our communities where, we have office space, you know, and I mean, literally, we have a desk at the newspaper. These sorts of relationships and friendships are because we're always encountering people that truly, truly love the community and they will come along and they will work with you and they're willing, like the editor of the newspaper there. And unfortunately, we don't receive that same welcome and help and support with churches. Yeah. So we want to be that. We yeah. want to be an example of that. So literally, if I'm driving past a church and I see a car, I'm going to stop and I'm going to go in that church and I'm going to introduce myself and I'm going to shake hands and I'm going to pray for whoever's there. Because I, I really want people to see that this is what we need to do. We is need that, to start treating people, treating one another like family. Is that being well received? You know, it is now, but at first it wasn't. We really, really prayed. I wish I could. There's no way for me to stress how much we prayed for the Lord to really break that in our community. Because when I see planting a church, I think of like, we think about the seed, but sometimes we're not paying attention to the ground. The ground is so hard. It was so hard. And so the Lord was showing me like we needed to spend more time in prayer 
you know, just, just praying for the ground, you know, and so the ground, that's all of us, you know, just, you know, why can't we be about God's business? Why, why does not, you know, why doesn't the work of the kingdom, you know, trump our personal agendas? And so out of that, we started working with, uh, an organization, nonprofit in Galveston, and we're exploring now in pre-launch phase of uh, a, a next uh, church plant and, on Galveston Island. And we don't know what that's going to look like. We're still praying about that. But all of that came about just from partnering with people that truly, truly love their community. And so that's been the down. If I had to say a downside is just dealing with, with churches that kind of are agenda driven and, and not kingdom-minded. That's been a real challenge. And probably a lot of those people are fearful that they're going to lose people to your church, and so they get the defenses up. And, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, I found over the years that either I could rejoice that people went because there was a mission and they wanted to come and help, or sometimes I could just rejoice because they didn't like me very well, and and when you came to town, they might not even like you, but they'd go bother you instead of bothering me. I, I never, ever think I lost anything when people, when a new church came to town. It was always a blessing, and it strengthened the, the community. I'm interested in, we got to wrap this up in a couple of minutes, but I'm interested in what you just said about Galveston. Here you are 47 days in, and so really kind of nine months and 47 days, roughly, because you took that time preparing and building these relationships yes, sir. but you're that early into a church and you're already set to launch another one i personally believe that that's the way it ought to be that it's easier to do it right out of the box than it is if you wait two or three years and people start to get possessive of money and and issues like that so there's a there's an inherent generosity that comes with a brand new church have you got somebody in mind for leadership or where are you at with what you're thinking about in Galveston? Um, right now we're, you know, we have a group of people that, that we're just exploring all that. Uh, there is leadership there. There are uh, about, you know, four um, actual, I guess you could say pastors kind of gathered. And there are about 30 or so, you would say, launch team members if, if we want to, you know, say as a pre-launch phase. So we're, we're just praying through that right now is the, what, what that's going to look like. It's, it's kind of a fun time. Uh, we do have a lot of lessons learned from just launching, you know, this church and the community uh, is, is very similar in Galveston, but uh, church attendance, I think uh, we're saying in Galveston is right around uh, 10% on Sundays. And so there's so many, you know, unchurched and so many people don't know Christ there that there's a lot of work to be done. So Galveston and Texas City, we just want to, we would love to just infect, you know, the, the, the culture. And I think the way of doing that is, is church planting. I think someone said that people attend churches, I guess, in seven mile radius of where they live. Mm-hmm. So what would it look like if we had uh, churches and missional communities that were were really just on mission, you know, every seven miles? Yeah. I mean, that's literally our vision. Once we, when I lived in Hawaii, we took a map of the state and we put a, I think there was a yellow pin for every McDonald's in the state of Hawaii. And then there would be a green pin if we could get a Hope Chapel in that neighborhood. 
and we uh, and we lost our way afterwards. We managed to put a green pin wherever there was a yellow pin. So we just used McDonald's, their demographics. We figured they did the homework, and so we're going to saturate the community as well as they do. And then after that, we started thinking, so do we look for gas stations? What do we look for? <laughs> and we, we actually kind of, you know, because you didn't have a goal, uh, we were left in a fog for just a little while. Well, I'm, I'm really thrilled to talk to you, and, and I'm really thankful that we've kind of struck up a new friendship here. If there are people who would like to know more about what you're doing, do you guys have a website that they could go to? We do. It's uh, ResonateTexas.org resonatetexas.org and so if if you'd like to get to know Jervie a little bit better or I'm sure there's a contact information on there yes, they sir. could get a hold of you through say it again uh, resonatetexas.org thank you very much for taking time this is really good God bless if you enjoyed today's podcast be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmore.net